episode number six of the Near Memo, where we talk about what's happened this week in search, social, and local commerce. I'm joined, as always, by Mike Blumenthal and David Mim. I'm Greg Sterling, and let's get to it. I get to go first this week. Um, how, how are you guys, by the way? I should... We're good. And it, it, we should note, it's by popular acclaim, it's not a, not a dictatorial decision to go first. So. <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, um, so, so there were a couple of things this week that I thought were pretty interesting that kind of com combine into, into one larger theme for me. Uh, there was a Bloomberg piece earlier in the week, I think, that, that talked about how the dominance of Google and Facebook in the ad market, something like 75% of all the ad revenue is flowing to them, is forcing companies to find other ways to support themselves, you know, paywalls, paid content, that, that ads are not a viable source uh, of, of support. And you, you know, think about the news industry, uh, you know, news publishers is one, but there's, there's paid newsletters and there's fan supported sites and Twitter with its uh, paid tweets. And we're seeing all these subscription or paid content models uh, start to show up. Um, also, one thought I had was that privacy is playing in this as well. So the, the, the disappearance of cookies for retargeting purposes, behavioral targeting, and then on the other side, Apple's impending IDFA sort of deprecation move, making it much more challenging to monetize the, uh, the, the web um, you know, from an ad standpoint. So I think there's a number of things going on. But the thing that really struck me that was interesting was um, TripAdvisor announcing, and I'm now forgetting what they're calling it, a, a new loyalty program that costs 100 bucks a year. It's basically Amazon Prime for travel, and you know you pay 99 bucks as a consumer, and you get access to special perks from these hotels, the participating hotels, and you also get higher, you know, better visibility on the TripAdvisor site. So there's a marketing dimension to it, and then they also get to waive the commission that they would otherwise pay, which is up to 30 percent of the booking fee. So it's a pretty good deal for the the hotel and the consumer who's already used to paying, you know, it's a pretty, for, for, you know, this is for frequent leisure travelers or business travelers. And so hundred bucks a year is not a big deal. It'll help them with loyalty. It's kind of also a response, I think, to Google travel in a certain way, you know, building, building, building direct relationships with customers who are gonna go there and not go to Google and search for hotels in Miami or whatever. So- You anticipate I that, their income model is gonna switch from commission-based to well, for, uh, for subscription based for, I don't know. I didn't talk to them. Advisor? So I didn't talk to them and I don't know exactly what their anticipated revenues are. I'm sure they've whiteboarded the whole thing out. You know, they have some spreadsheet somewhere, um, but I, I assume they have several hundred spreadsheets. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was just a kind of seat of the pants decision. No, they tested it. They said in December and they wouldn't have decided to roll it out nationally if it wasn't successful in that early test. So, you know, I think they're going to they're going to take whatever revenue they were getting from bookings and that'll be uh, substituted by the consumer loyalty fees, right? And they must have done a calculation to say that that's a good deal and anticipated how many were going to participate. You know, they must have modeled it out. But it's but you know, Amazon the, the arguably the most successful loyalty program ever is Amazon Prime. I mean, maybe some of the airlines Although that's a different conversation because you're you're captive to the airlines, um, you know, and other people are trying to emulate that. And some some retailers are now sort of playing with the idea of a paid loyalty program where you get access to benefits and it kind of locks you in. And 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 as we've seen from Amazon um, Prime data, you know, those people spend more money on Amazon 
almost two X, I think what the ordinary Amazon shopper and more frequency. And so it, it really works. So it's an interesting surprise. Yeah, I'm surprised it's only two two X. I think in my well, case, uh, may, you know, for more. Yeah. commodity items that I normally would have gone to our version of Kroger, which is Fred Meyer. You know, it's for me, it's always Amazon Prime for toilet paper and you know exactly. peanut butter and that kind of thing. So um, no, I think it's I th actually it strikes me as a very your your observation about you know trying to move the party from Google Google Travel Google Hotels uh, over to TripAdvisor. I think is a, is a very astute observation. Um, I could, I, frankly, I'm for leisure travel. I'm almost exclusively Airbnb uh, these days. But um, for business travel, you know, when I was going back and forth to Denver for for Thrive Five, it was you know Google Hotels was kind of my starting point. And I can definitely see something like this, particularly if my finance department is paying for a business subscription really changing my behavior um, quite a bit. So I think it's a really smart move on TripAdvisor's part. Um, they certainly have a, a track record of being you know, far more favorable to hotels when it comes to things like review solicitation and that sort of thing um, than many of their other competitors, so. It'll probably be, six, probably be six months before we see any significant travel and then it'll be another six months before we know how this impacts their you know, I guess, but but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting situation because it's a, it's a it's a decision I think that benefits both the consumer, provided that the perks are good enough, and the 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 hotels. You know, and there's there's not a lot of those examples online. You know, these days. Right. Yeah. So, All right. Well, that's a good that's actually a good segue into my that was that was that was my idea. Good setup. Good idea. setup. This is why this is why we pay you the big bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to, mo to moderate these things. Oh, that was so a white supremacy. That was a white supremacy symbol. Sorry, I meant to say zero. Oh, Whatever. Oh man. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Can't can't um, do can't do okay anymore. All right. No. Uh, so my my story, the story that caught my eye this week was um, one of the more inspiring uh, sort of executive puff pieces that I've seen in a while. Uh, it was a story on fast by fast company on the CEO and co-founder of talk T O C K, uh, who is a restaurateur himself. He's a co-owner of a very well-regarded, a couple of very well-regarded Chicago restaurants. Um, and he started talk, which is essentially a, a DoorDash. Uh, they're certainly a DoorDash competitor. I wouldn't exactly call them a clone, but it's very similar from a, a consumer standpoint. And the story was just about how well they've done during the pandemic. And um, I had actually never even heard of them until a couple months ago, we were gifted a talk gift card uh, for my wife's birthday. And the story really shed some interest, shed some light on uh, a couple of things that I think set them apart from a lot of the other uh, more extractive uh, tech companies they're competing with, which were started by Silicon Valley types instead of somebody from the industry. Um, so their, their, their pricing model is quite different. Um, they take a, essentially a pass through on any transaction charges of like 3% uh, for, for any orders. And then it's a flat $200 a month subscription, um, which is very different than the per order percentage that uh, all of these, you know, all of their delivery competitors or many of their delivery competitors uh, are, are extracting, um, which I think is, you know, sort of like the TripAdvisor example. I think that's why it was a good segue is that, you know, they're doing, they're doing well by their customers. And I think 
the fact that they were started by a guy from the industry probably gives them considerably more customer empathy and thus, you know, I think really good product insights into what's going to work and what's going to sell in this industry than, um, than similar products built by Silicon Valley types. So that was a really, really interesting story, which we did link to in the, uh, it did make, it did make the cut in one of our newsletters this week in, in some of the smaller single line links at the bottom. How are they handling employee uh, employees slash contractors and uh, so I don't I don't know the answer to that uh, actually Mike but um, I I do know that that they another thing that benefits the restaurant as opposed to them uh, they do the restaurant essentially owns all of their customers they're not this sort of middleman uh, the way DoorDash and Grubhub are where you know you don't always get access to the the customers I don't know the answer on on the Uber. Prop 19 or whatever the California uh, bill was. I don't don't know how they're handling that. So I guess we're up to me. So the article that I found most intriguing, I sort of feel like a Kremlinologist reading Google's PR and local these days, but was there three new ways anyone can update Google Maps? And let, did we have more discussion about yours, David? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. We're, no. we're, al we're already, is. no, there, there's of course more discussion always, but we're into your into your okay. item, so let's go. All right. So Google threw a bunch of stuff into this sort of stew press release, and you have to sort of spend some time factoring it and extracting it to find the relative, rel uh, the, the interesting tidbits in there. But one, they mentioned that there were 200 entities in their local database that included not just businesses, which is probably 100, 125 million, but also parks Two, and other right. 200, 200 million, million, right. 200 200 million. million places in yeah. their database, which I thought yeah. was interesting. They also though noted that they had reached a new milestone with their local guides of 150 million. First time they published that number in over a year. I think last time they published it was 90 million. Uh, so that's a pretty significant size of active users. These are the people. They noted that 70, since the inception of the program, 70% of reviews, photos, and other user-generated content came from this group of people. So these are the most active on Google. Um, and that they've added 8 million places uh, to, their, to their database. Um, and made more than 17 million, you know, up updates, whatever. So a lot. Um, and this, you know, if you do the math and you assume like with most platforms, Google has said that they have a billion users on maps, which makes the platform one of the largest. But if you extrapolate this 150 million, assume it's 10% of the user base, they're probably 1.5 billion users at this point, which again, they haven't released that information recently, but it also, by marshalling this massive force, you know, these incredibly active users who care about reviews, photos, local content, open hours, et cetera. One, they have the ability to keep their map data updated more current than anybody else. And two, they have the most entity-based user-generated content of anybody. So it's a huge competitive advantage. To leverage this, they created this local love challenge, right? They're further gamifying what's already gamified with local guides. And the game is a is stacked, you know, in favor of the house. I mean, Google gets a lot of work out of people and very little reward. You know, they they basically give away existing promos to the New York Times. You know, get 30 days free, the New York Times as a local guide. It's like, you know, 
I, I don't have to search for that's, that's I one haven't of the seen them run this playbook before, Mike. It's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the ways they're supporting journalism. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So is this local love challenge where their goal, their stated goal is to get a uh, hundred thousand, updating a hundred thousand businesses, certainly in the spirit of, of support of our world in this time of crisis. But, you know, everything Google does, they're always thinking about both the accuracy for the searcher, as well as the quality of the data set. And, you know, I don't want to be cynical, but this is a good way for them to capture what is obviously rapidly changing data as we move, as the economy recovers and we move to opening, you know, which stores are still open, which ones are, you know, which ones have updated hours, which ones closed. This is a great way to get to sort of put a stake in the ground on, on that and get current information in a context in which this local data is just changing very, very quickly. So, so I, I would, I would, oh, go ahead, David. Sure. I was just going to say, all, all kidding aside, I do, uh, I do applaud Google's efforts to encourage people to help local businesses in their communities, uh, which is not something we've seen Yelp do, for example, um, in terms of actively soliciting reviews. Uh, and I think that Yelp would, you know, Yelp would of course come back and say, "Oh, well, this is this is more proof that our reviews are better because they're less biased." I personally don't see any bias in asking for, uh, in Google asking for reviews of of local businesses. Uh, the, the more the merrier, uh, as far as I can tell. I'd be interested to know how many local guides are leaving reviews of truly local spots as opposed to WalMarts and Targets and those sorts of things, and and if that's a qualification for this local love program. I don't well, think there's any qualifications to participate just as a side note, but. <laughs> so so, so I, I would make a couple of points. I mean, I think the, the whole local guides program has been astonishingly successful for Google. I mean, it's, it's gotta be one of the most successful community programs by any company. I mean, it's just a, a unbelievably successful, essentially a Yelp, a ripoff of the Yelp elite squad on a global scale, but they have just managed to, to engage so many people who are, who are pretty genuinely enthusiastic. I mean, they really feel a sense, most of them or many of them feel a sense of kind of ownership and, and responsibility and commitment to the platform, which is an amazing thing that they've been able to do. Um, you know, the, the 200 million business number or entities number that you referenced, Mike? Yes. So I, had, I hadn't seen that. I hadn't focused on that in the, in the, in the post. But what was what was interesting? What's interesting to me about that is if that's a global number, you know, how does that compare to the to total universe of, of local businesses out there, right? I mean, they've you know, if they're 30, 30 million or some number approaching that in the U.S., well, then that Google, you know, I've talked to InfoUSA about this and Google, and the number that are in Google's local database, which is physical locations, which is really not businesses, right? Um, is 16.5, 16.8, right. 17 million is what's in Google's database, not yeah. the 30 million that- Well, I mean, there's a lot of- exists. Yeah, there's a lot of service-based businesses and, and people at, you know, at, working out of their houses and there's a, there's a lot of you know, solopreneurs or whatever, you know, Sohos, whatever you want to call them that aren't going to be captured in that. But that's an interesting, that's an interesting point. The final thing I would say is 
you know, there's a kind of irony in my mind between, you know, hey, business owner, don't use any financial incentives or any incentives to get reviews on your own behalf. But then Google has, you know, various incentives that they use, or they used to use more sort of, you know, swag and Android stuff and, you know, to get people to participate contests. So they were, they were fully incentivizing people with different perks in order to get them to, 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 uh, to leave reviews. Yeah, their argument is that it's not a conflict of interest for them to incentivize any review about any business where it is a conflict of interest for the business to incentivize the reviews about their business. A subtle difference, but that's what exists. And finally, in this, in, to support all this, they released a new feature that they're calling photo updates, uh, which is a new content type on Google that's uh, very visually oriented post type of, of input. It's very similar, in fact, resides on Google Maps in the same place as business posts. Uh, very image focused though, with a small amount of text. So it's not quite a review, you don't leave stars. Uh, it's not just an image, but it's an image with some text that shows up in the updates area, um, which is, you know, also though interesting to me because it's indicative of Google's trend towards visual search. Uh, it's a very Instagrammy kind of presentation, very image heavy, um, and, and mobile and mobile friendly, which mobile, is where most of the traffic is. And mobile friendly. It's also, as David pointed out to me offline, it's a reminder. Should be a reminder to every business in the world that uh, you don't own this space, you barely rent it. You are uh, more of a, what do you call a surf in relation to the land here, it's something similar to that. Um, so it's, it's certainly visually, or accentuates that position. Um, but what's intriguing to me, it's also part of this gamification and it's a source of both textual information and visual data which Google is now able to translate into entity information, so the visual data. They've gotten really good at image recognition. So they know if somebody posts a picture of a handbag, that it's a handbag, and they're able to associate that with the entity. So it gives them another sort of leg up at the deepest levels of the knowledge graph as they're building out this understanding of the businesses. So it's just, it was, you know, Again, I felt like a criminologist. You sort of have to read this with this sort of frame of what is Google and what are they doing. Um, but I thought it was a very informative post by them. Yeah, very interesting. So David, any final thoughts before we adjourn for this week? One quick one, which is I think all three of us will be speaking at the Street Fight Summit uh, on May the 4th. Our friend Damian Rollison said there will be plenty of uh, Star Wars jokes at the event as a result, but uh, you guys should all check out Street Fight Summit uh, if you're interested in hearing more commentary, both from us as well as plenty of uh, smarter and other uh, folks in the, in the industry um, that are participating in the event. And as long as we're highlighting events, if you're looking for a very tactically focused local event, Local U is doing an online event April 9th, uh, which they're giving away a number of scholarships for. So if you're in a situation where you're not able to pay the relatively low uh, entrance fee, there are scholarships available as well. So that's localu.org, you can sign up for that. All right, on that note, um, thanks again and have a good weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. You too, thanks, thanks Greg. Everybody.